thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Good morning. There we go. I like a little life. We're going to say a couple hallelujahs, amens, and shout to the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. Now we're on the right track. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm excited that you're here. I want to say good morning to all of you joining us online over in the prayer chapel as well. I also want to welcome back some people. We just had the international singers and dancers return from Israel. We want to welcome them back this morning. I want to remember them because... As, we, as they went again this year, this was the 40th year that we have sent teams over to honor and to encourage the soldiers of Israel. And so it's something that we're really passionate about. But I also want to welcome back FSM. You guys were just a desperation. Welcome back. All right. I expect you to be louder. You just came back from desperation. Bar. There we go. Bar was here. We need to be here. All right. But we're excited to be with you this morning. You're looking at me and you're saying, Jason, you look different. <laughs> I know it's the hair. The hair is what throws people off all the time. But my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I have the honor to, to speak with you this morning. And we're continuing in our series called The Book of James, A Line in the Sand. And what I love about this series is, first of all, I love getting into the Word. I love to go deeper. I love to study. But what I love about the series is I love that little subtitle, A Line in the Sand. And my wife and I, we both grew up on e opposite coasts. I grew up west coast. She's east coast. I grew up in Seattle. She grew up in Rhode Island. But we both went to the beach as children. And I remember as a child taking a stick and drawing a line in the stand. And I remember when you do that, a couple things. You draw a line, it's fresh, it's new, but with sand, sand is not something that's very stable. It's not something that's very strong. It's something that you can easily erase with your hand or your foot. It's something that changes as the water comes. And I thought it was interesting that we talk about the line in the sand. Because when we draw a line in the sand, when we stand for something, as believers, as we talk about this morning, it's a very interesting thing that I felt the Lord revealed to me is the world is the sand. And when we draw a line in the sand... And we're going to say to the world that this is what we stand for. It is by God's strength alone that we can stand and continue to redraw that line. Because without that, what we tend to do is take our foot, erase that line, then we draw it a little bit farther. Then we erase it again and we draw it a little bit farther. And all of a sudden we look back and we notice that we've gone farther than where we originally drew the line and we don't know how we got there. And so for us to say we're going to draw a line in the sand, it's us to say that when we draw it, we're prepared to stand by it. And when we stand by it, it means that we have a strong enough faith to believe in that line and stand with that line. And so this morning as we talk about James, we're going to talk about the work of our faith and how that faith makes us stronger, but how that faith changes the world around us. And if you're with us this morning, I want you to grab your Bible your digital device, your iPhone, your iPod, your Android, your iWatch, whatever digital thing or regular Bible that you have. And I want you to go to James chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 14 to 26. But this morning, we're going to talk about what is our faith? What is it for? And how do we use it? But before we get there, I want to read the first part of James together. So let's read James 2, 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith 
but has no deeds. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you say to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied, accompanied by action, or by action, is dead. So James opens as we start to talk about our faith by even just starting off challenging us, saying, what good is it if there's no works with it? And this has always been a very large debate in the church. Can I earn my faith? If I do enough work, do I earn my faith? What if I don't do enough? Does that mean I'm not saved? How do we address those questions? And the thing we have to realize when it comes to our faith is it is one thing, and here's, here's the first point. One thing is, faith is not a mental state. Faith is not a mental state. Faith is not something that we put into our minds and say, this is faith and this is all that faith is. Faith is more than just knowing. It's another way of asking, can a faith in God, with no interaction with God, and no interaction with those who believe in God, survive? A lot of us in this room started shaking our heads, saying no, it can't. It's a faith that can't survive. But yet, we as believers tend to say, I have faith in God. But when it comes to the way we live our lives, people are sometimes able to say, but I don't see God. And so suddenly, James starts to challenge us and say, what good is it? Let me give you a practical example. For those of you who don't know me, again, my name is Kurt. My wife is Maggie. And five, over five years ago, my wife and I stood on this very platform. At that time, I was the high school pastor here. And we announced to the congregation that we were going to leave and we were going to move to Israel. And we moved to Israel. But what would have happened if I had gone to Pastor George, who was our senior pastor at the time, and said to him, Pastor George, we're moving to Israel. Church, we are moving to Israel. When? We don't know. And I kept showing up for work. And I kept showing up to service. And you still saw me around. Would you believe I'm going to Israel? Eventually, people are going to start being like, are, are you leaving? Are, are you going? And then probably Pastor George would be like, you keep showing up to work, but you don't work here anymore. Why are you still here? And then eventually Pastor George is going to come to me and say, listen, what are you doing? We're going to have to move on. You are deciding to say you're going to go to Israel, but you're not doing it. And we have to move on as a ministry or a church. What happens when God calls us to do something and then we say, yes, God, I'm going to do it, and we never do it? Does it put God in the same scenario to say, well, I asked you to do this, but you're not doing it, and I want to do something great. So now I'm going to have to ask someone else. Suddenly, we put God and we put ourselves in this situation when we say, God, I believe in you, but I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. And God, you want to save lives through me, but I'm not going to do that. And we start to say to God that we will do what he says without actually doing what he asks. And we put ourselves in a situation where no longer do we live out the faith that we said to God that we would do. And that is a place where I don't think any of us want to be. 
And so as James starts to cover this and talk about it, he says it here in James 2, 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Can a faith in God that has no signal, life, representation of God save them? In other words, sometimes it comes to what we say lip service, or it says we give a lot of lip service, but we don't give a lot of action. A lot of times we'll say, I believe in God, this is what God asks us to do, but then we don't do it. And people start to identify us as believers who have faith, but don't do what God asks us as, as people who aren't true to their word. And suddenly we've started to paint a picture of God that is not representative of who God is. You see, the reality is, no matter what happens, we are the representation of God, of Jesus on earth. And if we're going to claim that and say we have faith in that, then there is a challenge upon us that we have to live that way. And so sometimes what we'll start to say is, well, I don't know, am I supposed to do that? Do I feel that way? Which brings me to my second point. Faith and works cannot be separate. They cannot be separate. We cannot say we have faith and not have works. We cannot have works if we're not going to do them in the name of Jesus. What good is it to say I'm going to do good things and I believe in God, but I'm never going to bring up his name? It's like saying I'm going to do good things and then never ever tell anyone about it, what's going on, who's it for. I'm going to try and meet your needs. Faith and works cannot be separate. They go together. When we have faith in God, then we are motivated to serve others because we want to see them come to know God. Martin Luther said this, we are, not, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone. This is true. Our faith in Jesus saves us. But the faith that saves is never alone. It is not alone. It is not a faith that saved and then stopped. It is a faith that always has something with it. And it does come with our relationship to one, with one another here. But it also has to do with our relationship with people outside of here. What has God called us to do? He's called us to love one another. He's called us to make changes in our life. Our faith came in salvation through Jesus, which was an act of love. So the salvation that we have came from action, came from work. It did not come from just speaking it and saying, well, I believe it, and then nothing ever happened after it. Our salvation came from an act of love. Now, we see that James starts to address this a little bit, and he starts in James 2, 18 and 19, and says, but someone will say, you have faith? I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He starts it off by saying, good. People will say, you have faith, I have deeds. But the challenge is to that, he goes, but I will show you my faith through my deeds. He doesn't say, I'll show you my faith through just my faith. He says, I'll show you my faith through my deeds. And it's very interesting here because we know that James is the half-brother of Jesus. 
And Jesus was Jewish, so that probably means his brothers were Jewish, correct? Yeah, some of you are like, oh, I don't know. Yes, they were, in case you were wondering. And it's interesting because when James wrote this letter, to give a history of, of the part that we're about to talk about, when James wrote this letter, he wrote it to a church at the time that was predominantly Jewish believers. Not Gentile believers, Jewish believers. And it's very interesting that right here in the verse, he says that there is one God. Now, the reverse of something in Jewish history or tradition that's called the Shema. The Shema is something that every Shabbat, when a Jewish person goes to, to Shabbat or goes to synagogue, they walk through their door. And on their door is a mezuzah. We have one in our door here. And inside of that is a scroll that says the Shema. Now, the beginning of the Shema says this, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. O hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So James touches a point to the Jewish people saying, if we can, as we can continue on, right here, believes that there is one God. He touches them and he says, good. But not just good. He yells at them, good. Has any of you ever been in an argument before? Said something to, you, to them, excuse me. They summed something back and you're like, I won. I know what I'm going to say next. Anyone been in that place before? You're like, I win arguments all the time. I feel like this is what James says when he says good. He's like, good. You say that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. Good for you. And they shudder. At that moment, James says to them, good for you. You understand and believe God the same way demons believe that there's a God. So all of a sudden, James is not talking about oh, well, it's good that you have faith. He's saying, good, you have faith. Even demons have faith that there is a God. And they know that he is real. But the difference is, is how do we use that understanding of God to make a difference, to reach out and change people's lives, to say that if we're believers, we live like it. As believers, I've seen this before. Maybe some of you have seen this before as well. I'll talk to someone about, hey, you know, what if we did this, what if we did that? And I get this response. You know, that's just not my calling. Anybody ever heard that before? I love that phrase. And here's why. Because your calling has nothing to do with telling the gospel. Everyone is called to tell the gospel. Don't use your calling as an excuse. We've done it. I've seen it. I've even done it. Let me give you an example. One time, someone challenged me to fast. I said, no, I'm not called to fast. I love to eat. I thought that was scriptural. I was wrong. But we will sometimes use our own faith as an excuse not to be like Jesus. Our faith is not our excuse. Our faith is our life. And our life reflects Jesus. And we want others to know Jesus. So faith and works cannot be separated. And this is a real thing. I have friends that are non-believers, and I have had conversations with them, and they have asked, can I ask you a question? I say, of course, because I love them. And I say, they say, can you explain to me 
Why, as Christians, you say you're going to care for others, but other organizations and people that are not Christians care for the needs of others more than the church? That's a real question. And a lot of times I can't answer it. Sometimes I have to say, well, you know what? That's a, we're working on it. People see what we do. And a lot of times they will see before they will listen. And it is our call and our challenge that our faith comes and resonates in our life, not just in what we think. It's not a mental state. It is in what we do. It is in our actions. It is in our love for others. Jesus wants us to love the lost, but he also wants us to love our neighbor. And sometimes they're the same, but the reality is sometimes we don't do that. The thing we have to also remember about this scripture in James is when he talked about earlier about how it says to care for the needs, and he talks about a, a very tangible example about food and clothes, that this topic is not just about taking care of the needs of the needy. It's in the same way you could insert, if you say to someone, you're going to pray for them, but you don't. Or you say to someone, hey, anytime, if you need help, call me. And they call you, and then you don't answer because you don't want to help. Or you say to someone, hey, listen, if you ever get in a pinch, I'll be there. If you need a little bit, I'll help you. And then when they come to you, you don't. We're not just talking about the needs of the needy. We are talking about loving people. And we need to care for the needs of people. And the needs are different. And there is the call upon our lives to care for them. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We need to take care of those things. But don't take this idea of works and say, oh, that only applies to feeding the, the people that are in need. This applies to anything and anyone that says, I need help. And you say to them, I will help. We have to remember that when we promise something, we need to follow through. Sometimes it is one of the most difficult things to follow through because of this next point, number three. Faith involves willful and complete obedience. It is something that calls for us to be obedient. If I'm going to profess that I have a belief in Jesus, then I need to be able to live a life that reflects Jesus. And that's his challenge to us. Does our faith reflect the father of our faith, God? It says it here in James 2. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham, again, here's his reference to his roots where he comes from, our father Abraham, considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. You see, that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by the faith alone. To be called righteous, to be called a friend of God, 
means that we are to live a faith that is in obedience to what God asks us. He was called and asked to do something great. He was called and asked to sacrifice his son. And I don't think that he really wanted to do it. I don't think anyone really wants to do that. But out of faith for God, out of his love for God, he gave obedience. I have a friend, his name is Daniel Kalenda. He travels the world and speaks in Africa, and they have millions of people come to their rallies. And he had this quote, and I love this quote, and it says this. There is no alternative to obedience, not even sacrifice, invocations, or tears. When God speaks, there is only one appropriate answer, immediate, unquestioning obedience. That's, that's tough to read because we've done it. God asks us to do something, and you're like, God, I'll give up, I'll give up Starbucks. Please don't make me do that. God, I'll give up chocolate. Please don't make me do that. God, I'll give this. God, you'll, you'll have tears. God, please don't do, make me do this. Invocations are call upon a, a higher being. Please don't make me do that. We will do that. I've done it. I'll admit to it. There are times in my life where I've done that. But this immediate, unquestioning obedience is the toughest part. How many of you have children that have immediate, unquestioning obedience? Not a single hand. I was hoping for at least one. We laugh because we know this takes time to learn. But to have immediate, unquestioning obedience means there is a surrender. We have to teach and learn surrender to have immediate, unquestioning obedience. And sometimes that's the hardest thing, is a lot of times we live in what I like to call a faith-filled comfort zone. That we have faith in God, but we live inside that comfort zone. If you think about it, is there one place in your life where you need to act on faith? Is there one place in your life that you know that God has asked you to reflect on him and use your faith to decipher it? And if you do not have that place, I have to ask you this question, why not? It is a challenge in our life to truly say that we will live by faith, which means we have to have and try to find places in our lives where we are challenged to live by faith daily. And if you don't have that place, then I want to ask you, why not? Why is there not a place in your life where you're saying, I need to have faith for God to deliver this and make this happen? My wife and I, when we lived in Israel and we moved, we landed in Israel at the airport with no one to greet us. We didn't know a soul. But by faith, we showed up. And what we found is what we like to say is every time we took a step of faith, God slid the brick right under our foot as we stepped down. But he could not give us that brick. He could not give us that blessing until we took a step. Then he was there. And we walked many times in our faith knowing that we had no clue what was going to happen. But God always was there. But he required Action. Abraham lived a daily faith. He literally relied on God for daily direction. When he acted, he did it 
to almost sacrifice his son and prepare to sacrifice it was fun. It was his son. It was then his faith was perfected. It was not because he had faith. It was because he acted on faith that his faith was perfected. If you want God, you want to take a step of faith, I know that sometimes they're scary. I know that there's sometimes they're difficult. But when you act on your faith, your faith is perfected. And I don't know about you, but I would rather have a perfect faith than a comfort faith. Can I get a better amen there? I felt good. All right. I felt moved. I don't know if you did, but. When we live in a comfort zone faith, we miss out. We don't give God the opportunity to show us how big he really is. God is bigger than all of the things that we're going to face in this life. And if we rob God from saying, God, I'm going to put my faith in you, but I don't allow God to show me how big he is, I will never understand how great a God he is. Because he is bigger than anything that I have in front of me. He is stronger than anything I have in front of me. He is greater. He is better. He is whatever thing you want to put there in your life. He can do great things in your life, but he needs you to act in faith that you will trust him and you will take that step and you will let that brick come under your foot and then you will find God is bigger than you ever thought. That's the God we serve. That's the God that we celebrate. That's who I want to follow. And the interesting thing about when we live out our faith is it changes other people's lives. Number four, the works of God will inspire faith. When we continued on in James 2, 25 and 26, it says this. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did. When she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's interesting here that they call Rahab righteous. In Hebrews, it talks about a cloud of witnesses. And in there, Rahab is mentioned. But it's very interesting what Rahab's life was. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab lived a life that people would say was of bad morals, and I think we all agree with that. But it's very interesting when the spies go. When you read the story of Rahab, and you go and you read about what happened, when the spies came, she talks to them and tells them, hey, I've heard about your God. I've heard about the things that he's done in the desert. I'm paraphrasing. I'm sorry. It's not the... But her faith did not come because they showed up and they told her how great God was. She knew who God was through the power and things that he did in the desert long before she ever met a believer in God. And it says in scripture that as she started to hide them, that she hid them on the roof. And the stuff that she hid them in was materials used to either make fabric or make dyes for fabric. And some think that she started to do this because she was trying to start to change her life. That she didn't want to be that person anymore. That she was changing her profession because of what she had heard about. Nothing that she had seen yet. 
And see, the interesting thing about Rahab, the reason why she was called righteous is she hid these men, but then she made a choice that changed the course of her entire family's life. She looks at them and says, you know what, I'm gonna hide you, but this is what I want you to do. When you destroy this city, I want you to remember me and my family. I want you to protect us. And they tell her to put a crimson fabric or rope outside of her door. Which is interesting why it's crimson, because we talk about when it comes to blood, the only thing that could save us is the blood, and blood is crimson. But on that day, she said, will you save my family? And they said, yes. And when they destroyed the family, they, or destroyed the family, sorry. When they destroyed the city, they saved the family. On that very moment, she makes changes in her life because of how powerful God was, not because of what people told her about God. She heard the rumors. She heard the things that God could do in the desert, and she said, that's the real God. I believe that this church, Faith Bible Chapel, has the ability to do great things in this city that people's lives will change because they hear about the great things that God is doing in Arvada, that he's doing in this city, that he's doing in this church. But to do that means we have to become a congregation that does not just live by faith with no works, but we live with faith and we are motivated to do works because of who God is. Lives change because of God. Lives change because of faith in God. And I believe that we are a church that can change the direction of this city. I have had dreams that God is gonna do something great. But it is not the church staff that can do it. It is us as a church together that does it. And if we're gonna do that, that means we have to start living less like ourselves and more like God. It means we have to say, when I say to someone, I'm going to pray for you, at that moment, we pray for you. If I say you can call me, when they call, I answer. If they're in the hospital and need someone, we go down and we meet them because it's not about my convenience or my calling, it's about Jesus and the gospel and lives changing and saying that my faith is not just something that's in my head, my faith is my life. And through all of this, all that James says, there's two truths to remember. Number one, salvation comes through faith. Our salvation comes through the faith of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, died for our sins, rose again three days later, and has interceded on our behalf. But the second is, faith works. Faith works in many ways. It works because we have faith, but it also works because we become the heavy lifters of this world for God. Like I said earlier, the only way people are going to come to know Jesus is through us representing who he is. Now, there are miracles happening. I've heard stories of people having dreams and visions of God coming and their lives changing, and I, I love that. But let me tell you something, I heard a, heard a pastor say this once. He said, the only reason that most of you are believers today 
is because someone loved you so much they told you the gospel or brought you to a place to hear the gospel. That could be your family, that could be your friends, that could be anyone in your life, but someone loved you so much they brought you to hear the gospel. And here's the thing that I love about this, what we get to do here on a Sunday morning. I love it when I have non-believing people come to church. And here's why I love it. It is the most awkward experience of your life. And you know what I'm talking about. When you believe, bring your non-believing friend here, here's the things that start going through your mind. Oh man, did the usher shake his hand? Oh man, is the worship any good? Why is it so dark in here? Is it too loud? Why are we asking for offering? Oh, I hope the preacher doesn't say anything that's really awkward. I hope they don't ruin the experience for my friend. Anyone ever been there before? It is the most awkward situation. But at the end of that situation, when an invitation to know Jesus is given, and they raise your hand, all of a sudden, all awkward goes away, and all joy comes out. It is about the joy of the Lord and people being saved. It is not about our awkwardness or our comfort. To live by faith and to live out our faith means at some point you're going to be in an awkward moment. But when God moves in your life and you see how great the gospel is, it can do amazing things. So we have salvation through faith and faith works. And this morning, you're probably in one of two categories. You are in a phase or a season where it's time to accept faith, or you're in a season where it's time to apply your faith. You may be here this morning, and you've never put your faith in Jesus, and you said, you know what, I want to know that God. I want to be saved. I want to be set free. I want to see life change. I want to be the example. Then today that's called the acceptance of Christ, and we're going to do that here in a minute. But maybe today you've already done that, and you're in a season of called the application. And you've accepted Christ, and the season you're in now is not to sit by, it is time to apply. And apply what God tells us. And apply the faith that he's given us. And start to change the world around us. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.